Hi guys, welcome back to the Forking Wellness Podcast. My name is Barry Strickoff, registered dietitian. And I'm Sophie Bertrand, registered nutritionist. And today's topic is why the fork do diets fail. Yeah, I think a super interesting one being that so many people have either been on a diet or are on one or are thinking about going on one. Yeah, and I also think that we kind of talk a lot about being anti-diet health professionals, but we probably Mm -hmm. never really explained why. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) So we're always like, oh, diets don't work, diets don't work. Um, But maybe we haven't really been explicit about why we feel that way. Yeah, we'll get, we'll have an in-depth discussion and explain our feelings towards diets. Yep. And we got some questions from you all. So we'll be sure to answer those at the end, but hopefully we will answer them like throughout, Mm -hmm. Uh, but maybe we'll just give a little summary. Yeah. Sounds good. So should we start by actually defining a diet? Yeah. So when people hear the word diet, I think in my opinion, a diet is something that is like inherently rooted in either rules or restrictions. Um, So it could be you want to cut out a certain food group or you want to reduce X, Y, Z. So there's always like do's and don'ts. Mm -hmm. It's annoying because I feel like, you know, having a well-balanced diet, like the word diet can be used to just explain your kind of food world. But then I think when you hear the word diet, because of the reason you just said, everyone just thinks about, you know, restriction. Yeah. And I even feel like it is confusing that the word diet is in dietitian. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's not everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And so, but I think that on a whole, like diet actually is just the sum of all the foods that you eat or the sum of the habits um, that you have around food and lifestyle. So then when they say, oh, I have a healthy, well-balanced diet, that's just like the sum of everything that you're doing. But then people are like, oh, follow my diet or the diet industry. So it's yeah. very confusing. Yeah. Or just literally people being like, oh, I'm on a diet. <laughs> yeah. And that could literally mean anything. It is so vague. Mm-hmm. So what are some of like examples of either like crazy diets or maybe like a bit more realistic diets? So a diet in my eyes is when you say, oh, I'm on a diet or I want to go on a diet, that usually means I need to cut something out or I need to restrict or I need to reduce the amount I'm eating. Some people cut out a whole food group. Um, So I guess it means changing how you're eating now quite drastically. Yeah, I do think that all the diets kind of have, except, and this is like the caveat, and there's always going to be like exceptions, but like when you look at something like the Mediterranean diet, which yeah. is not, it's not rooted in restriction, it's, but again, it's that use of diet in the terms of like a sum of what you're doing. So Mm -hmm. it's so confusing because, you know, a Mediterranean diet is just a style of eating that um, prioritizes fruits and vegetables and whole grains and fish and healthy fat. So it's kind of just like um, balance and diversity. And Mm -hmm. we know that people who follow a Mediterranean diet style lifestyle have reduced risk for chronic health conditions. They uh, maintain stable weight, um, et cetera. So, but that's still a diet. Yeah, and I think some people also will adopt that way of eating, but that doesn't mean they can't enjoy a slice of cake when they feel like it as well. Totally. So, I don't, so it could depend on how the individual views it as well. 
Yeah, because I'm sure some people take Mediterranean diet to the extreme. Exactly. And some people, like you said, some people might just prioritize the foods that it promotes. Yeah, like I would actually say after just listing it, I probably eat in a Mediterranean diet style, but I would never say, oh, I'm on the Mediterranean diet. Same, yeah. It's just yeah, definitely. I, but that just kind of sums up my eating habits. Um, so that one is kind of, maybe that one's the exception, not the rule. Yeah, definitely. Because then we have extremes like, you know, Atkins, um, so many different ones, the keto diet, intermittent fasting. Yes, those are probably the most restrictive, um, I would say is probably keto. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you also well, have like... You oh, have like sorry. vegan keto as well. That like what? piped up a year ago. <laughs> I literally can't understand what someone would eat on vegan keto. And then you add in like paleo and it's mm-hmm. like, actually, what can you eat? Like literally. So yeah. anything that kind of involves restriction, um, cutting out certain food groups, etc. Um, I guess would be a example of a diet, even like whole 30. Yeah. I feel like that's much bigger in America than in the UK. I completely agree. So for anyone who is not familiar with what Whole30 is, it's like a 30-day elimination diet that involves, you know, giving up these like, and I'm using air quotes for this, common irritants um, to the body. So that's things like um, they name like sugar or alcohol, sweeteners, certain grains. You can't have dairy. You can't have legumes. Um, so crazy. So crazy. So then after the 30 days, you can slowly reincorporate one food like at a time and see which one kind of affects digestion. So it's kind of an elimination diet mm-hmm. and then you build things in. But um, again, elimination diet. And it's just causing you to kind of adopt more food rules. Yeah, exactly. And then like fear and things. So mm-hmm. I think there are two big branches of like the negative effects of dieting. So it's like the physical side of it and then the mental side of it but before we get into it it's another thing that I keep just like playing devil's advocate is like in the hospital if we have someone who comes in on for whatever um reason we might put them on like medically prescribed diet so things like a low FODMAP diet Mm -hmm. or a low sodium diet if they have something wrong with their kidneys or something like a low potassium diet so not all diets are bad. Some are medically necessary, but maybe it's the reason why you pursue it. Yeah, I think a lot of it is to do with the mentality behind it and where it kind of takes you. Because say if you start, you know, someone cuts out dairy because they think it's irritating their skin, for example, that might lead to something else and something else. And before you know it, you've cut out like three main food groups. And then all of a sudden that person's scared to eat them and they've got all these food rules. It stops them from going out to socializing. That literally just summed up our orthorexia episode from last week. Yeah, that's so true. It's a nice little follow on. (laughs) A nice little follow on. So yeah, I think maybe when the restrictions are rooted in a negative, so instead of like, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it because that way it didn't explain it well, but (laughs) I'm just trying to think like why I would tell someone to follow a certain diet and then why I would say don't, um, the lines are a bit weird. Well, let's say low FODMAP for IBS. Yeah. So there are some like medically specific diets. But some people will, will just go on a low FODMAP diet because they, they think it's beneficial. Whereas actually they might not need to. 
Yeah, but I also think that comes into if you are going on a medically prescribed diet, it should be with a medical professional. Yeah, definitely. No, I've I've honestly seen Instagram accounts with people who are like, oh, I'm doing low FODMAP diet, like follow along kind of thing. And it's like, they're not doing it as a professional, they're doing it because they've, you know, seen a bit of research that says it might be beneficial and they're trying to do it on their own. And it's honestly so difficult to do on your own. I wouldn't advise it at all. At all. And I think that one, having a healthcare professional there with you will help prevent those kind of like mental dips into Mm -hmm. the negative side and bring you back to the reason of why you're doing it. And also they'll be able to say, no, you don't actually need to do this. Or even it's not permanent. I feel like people who yes, do it alone. I was literally just about to say like the low FODMAP diet even should not be a long-term fix. Yeah. So for anyone who is listening, who is confused about what the low FODMAP diet is, it's basically a short-term elimination diet that reduces certain sugars that kind of ferment in the gut. Um, and that's what FODMAP stands for. It's like fructo, oligo, I won't go into it. Probably I can't name them all. Actually, I, I, was, challenge I was yeah, I was gonna say I was waiting for you to name them all. Fructo, oligo, disaccharide, monosaccharide. I don't know what A stands for, and then P is polyols. Do you know what A stands no, for? No, I don't actually. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but basically it's the way that the sugars we'll ferment put it in, in the your show stomach. notes. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's the way that the sugars ferment in your stomach and can cause like gastric upset or like GI discomfort. Um, and for people who do have IBS, it's a great way to figure out your food triggers. So some people mm-hmm. can't have garlic, some people can't have onions, some it's spicy food, some it's coffee. Um, so that's like a really controlled um, elimination diet, but it's not forever. Like you eliminate and then you reintroduce. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of, you know, there's that cuts out a lot of kind of grains and vegetables and stuff, that diet. So you don't really want to be going on it if you don't have to. Exactly. And you're kind of at risk for nutrient deficiencies. So some Mm -hmm. dietitians and doctors will, depending on what your lifestyle was before, say you might need to supplement. So it's definitely not something that I would ever recommend. There's always like steps you can do before doing that. Um, Okay. So we kind of talk about the negative side of dieting. So what, when I, I guess we'll do like the body first, like what it does to your body and then we'll do like what it does to your mind. Yeah. So how would so, you say it affects kind of like your metabolism? I think something that people don't like to face the reality of is it, it does slow your metabolism down. Like you are at risk of, cause you know, I've, I have clients come to me sometimes and they're actually not eating that much a day, but they still want to lose weight. And they're just like, it's almost like their metabolism is just like switched off. And it's like, I am not using any energy because you're not giving me any. Exactly. And I think so many diets are these like low calorie diets. So they're rooted in 1200 calories. I don't know where that number has come from, (laughs) but that kind of seems to be like the minimum of a diet and it's probably because that's like the very low end of what a human can function on yeah definitely so i i think most individuals when you look at kind of bmr so your basal metabolic rate and when you calculate how many calories you need most people will actually fall like 2000 like i'm picturing like someone like our um active lifestyle but like 2,000 to 3,000 even like especially for Mm -hmm. men so to tell someone that you can have 1,200 is like half of what the average person who is like active um should be having literally and you might lose weight initially I mean you probably will lose weight initially but when you're trying to survive on that long term your body's just going to plateau and try and survive because it's always trying to fight its set point 
It's always going to want to sit at that individual set point for your own body. And when you're constantly going against what your body's trying to do and sit lower than that set point, it's going to fight back and disagree with you. Yeah. And then you feel like the only way to keep going is to keep reducing. Yeah. Otherwise, because you, then you get scared that if you start eating properly again, you're just going to put on a load of weight. Yeah. And I understand how that like makes sense. It's like, I've cut my calories by this and I've lost weight, but then I stopped. So therefore I need to cut more calories. Mm -hmm. I understand that logic, but your body does not follow that logic. Your body has a completely different logic where it says, (laughs) if you feed me less, I will have to retain more and spend less energy. Yeah. Which, and then you start to feel fatigued and you know, brain fog, you can't think properly, you can't be bothered to do anything, you definitely haven't got energy to go for a nice walk with your friends. Yeah, and it, it your body will actually start to turn off non-essential, you know, functioning. We have, we spoke about that with the amenorrhea, but like if you're a woman who is ovulating normally, when you calorie restrict, and you don't even have to be below a certain weight, like mm-hmm. that could happen at any weight, um, but when you stop providing your body with the necessary energy it needs it will switch that off and you won't be able to um ovulate and bear children essentially yeah and i think another thing that's important to mention is a lot of people it's kind of like the effect of yo-yo dieting they always say well you know i lost x amount of pounds or stones and then i gained it all back when i ate normally but plus more so there's a lot of research to say that when you diet i think it's something like 80%, but don't hold me to that, of people will gain back the weight plus more. Yeah. And I think it's like, I don't know if this is the exact statistic either, but it's like 10 pounds in five years or something like that. Like they'll gain an average of an extra 10 pounds in five years. And this is a body of research. Like there's quite a lot of studies to suggest this is the case and it's called rebound weight gain. Yeah. And I think the main question that you have to ask yourself is, are the people who are coming up with these diets out like is their goal to help you find a sustainable, healthy way to live your life? And the answer is no, they're there to make money. Yeah, exactly. They, they want to make a name for themselves in the industry and come up with this ridiculously out there diet that proves weight loss. But then what are those people doing a year or two years down the line? They're probably not the same weight as they were when they you know, originally went on this diet. They're probably a lot more unhappy. Yeah. And if there was one diet that really worked, like if there was one diet that got you healthy, it it helps you maintain the perfect weight for your body. You felt great. All, all the boxes were ticked. Then no one else would do any of these other diets. Yeah, exactly. But that doesn't exist because we know the one size fits all approach um, is not accurate and applied to health and eating. Everyone is so individual in their needs and unique in their needs that that doesn't exist so when people put out these diets how is it supposed to work for me and how is it supposed to work for the next person when we have completely different genetics we have a completely different lifestyle I don't I don't understand I mean I know why but like yeah no I I think as well people don't like the idea of like oh everyone's unique and you have to do what's right for you because they're like well I, I have no guarantee how do I know what's right for me isn't what's right for my friend And because we're constantly comparing ourselves to each other and we think, well, you know, if I eat like that influencer, maybe I'll have abs like her or look like her. It's so not the case, but people want to believe that quick fix or that kind of miracle diet because it's so boring to be like, oh, you know, listen to your body and try and do what works for you. 
people are like, I don't want to do that. I haven't got time to listen to my body. Like put me on a diet that's going to make me lose weight. Exactly. I think it's that when diets sell themselves on that like immediate weight loss. It's yeah. so, especially for someone who's so desperate to have that mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And that's a whole other kind of conversation about why people feel the need to diet. Um, I think that's what sells. I have some really interesting stats on diet. Oh, go for it. Diet. We love some stats. Okay. Love some stats. So I pulled this a while ago for something else, but I thought it was super relevant. Um, so I'm just going to read what I had written. So in, so this is American statistics. Um, so they are in dollars and it's like, um, based off the American population. So we can't really, um, generalize it to the UK, but kind of. This is Um, a good example. Yeah. So in 1992, the diet industry was worth 30 billion. 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 So in 1992. In 2007, that number increased to 55 billion. Jeez. And then now, I'm not 100% sure what it was in 2019, but I'm pretty sure it was over 70. It's crazy. So the money, and I obviously take into account inflation, et cetera. And we still have people left confused about food and weight loss and weight gain. (laughs) And the real kicker is... Um, according to a recent survey, and this is in UK statistics, I'll let you guess, how much do you think the average person will spend on dieting in their lifetime? Oh gosh, in a lifetime. Oh gosh, 200,000? 200,000? No, it's only 25,000 pounds. (laughs) Jesus, I'm going to have to edit that bit out. No, I keep it, but like probably, you know why you think that so is probably clue, because basically, so we just. <laughs> I think it's probably because you um, have a really biased outlook. I guess because on an, people an are average, coming to you. Like, yeah, I was going to say like I'm thinking that everyone wants to spend money on a diet, whereas there's a lot of people in the world who don't spend money on a diet. I think your world is fighting diet culture. So yeah, you see, you see, and I'm so sure that some of your clients would have amounted to that much. Um, yeah. So that's probably why. But yeah. Oh, and I found um, today the diet industry in America, based in 2017, um, is 70 billion, and the global wellness economy is worth 4.2 trillion dollars. See, when you're hitting me with billion and trillion figures, obviously I'm going to go for a high number. <laughs> exactly. Um, but then I guess if you break it down to the individual in the UK, it'll be yeah, true. grand. Yeah. Which is so much money. That's it's more so than the money. average yearly salary. Yeah. In the UK. That's insane. Wild. And you think like, what else can you do with that money? Exactly. And half, like, oh, not, well, more than half of it, because you get things like the, what are they? Like the air quotes, weight loss gummies and the sweets and the detox teas, things like that. They're, they're not just like, that's not a diet. That's actually really, really damaging. Yeah, to your health like dangerous. they yeah they contain ingredients that are not meant to you know enter the body daily yeah and like the tea is like they're literally just straight laxatives like literally you are at real risk for like dehydration and things like that yeah um, and, and just long-term food. like you know suffering with your bowel movements in the long run because yeah. you become so reliant on that substance totally and then don't forget like the mental impact that it has on you um, but really funny that you said that, um, because my, um, my grandma has always had, she's gonna, I hope she doesn't, 
<laughs> she's always had issues going to the bathroom and so she drinks this like a Chinese herbal tea that like helps her go- it's like basically a laxative tea but like she got it from like so I don't even know where she got it but it's like a Chinese herbal tea and her body has become so used to it over time she's yeah. been doing this for like 40 years wow um, and she has to have it and one time I was down in Florida with her and I was having trouble going to the bathroom and she tried to get me to drink this. And I remember just like telling my mom, my mom was like, no, you will literally poop your pants. Like, oh don't my do God. It. <laughs> I didn't I do it. I thought you were going to tell us like a funny story of you like trying it. No, I never tried it. I never, I was just like, no, I'll, I'll wait. It's okay. Yeah. But I remember her trying to convince me to take it. And oh my, my mom God, was like, so do not do it. <laughs> I'm glad your mom had your back. <laughs> totally. She wasn't even there. Like she was back in New York. I remember I called her because I didn't feel well. And I told her, I was like, yeah, grandma's trying to convince me. And she was like, do not listen to your grandma. <laughs> oh my God. So funny. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that's kind of like an, a good representation of diet industry, where it's at today, how much it's worth. It's, mm-hmm. it's everywhere. Yeah. And it can be so subtle now as well. I feel like people have caught on to the fact that other you know health professionals are trying to fight this kind of diet culture so companies are getting more clever as to how they market it yeah they're probably marketing it more in the name of health less in the name yeah. of weight loss but weight loss still sells like when you look at google trends and google analytics which is something that i do for work you will see like the highest searching trends week on week are how to lose weight quickly really that's so interesting so even though we think it's kind of going away it's not No. Oh no, it's still fully there in one way or another. Like I said, I think sometimes it's just in a more subtle way though. Yeah. So we spoke about kind of the negative effects that it has in your body. The less you eat, the slower your metabolism will get and you'll, you'll end up losing less weight. Your body will always try and reassert its set points. That's the weight that your body kind of naturally likes to sit at. It might be higher than what you are trying to achieve, Mm -hmm. um, which is why you'll never be able to maintain it. Yeah, definitely. And I don't know why society has made this idea that like smaller is better. I know it's really annoying because like, where has it come from? Because even like, you know, I remember when I was growing up kind of, when would it have been really early 2000s when I was like in my teens? Um, everything was like size zero. The models were really thin, despite how unhealthy they were, they had to be a certain size, but then that started to change. And I don't think models are as thin as they used to be. And we thought we were making progress. And I think France was the, or Paris was the first um, kind of city to bring in the rule that you have to have a healthy BMI to be a model and things like that. So I feel like we have made progress, but there is still very much emphasis on smaller is better. Yeah, I still think that, you know, I didn't even know about that um, BMI thing in Paris. I think that's amazing. But again, we know that BMI isn't always the greatest representation of. Yes, very, very, very true. But I think, I guess like, because I. A good starting place. Yeah, I was going to say I have more kind of experience with underweight people because of my background and the placements that I've done in hospitals and stuff. So BMI is important when you're so underweight. Totally. It's a good benchmark. yeah, but like as a general indicator of health, it's really not, I mean, I'm not going to say not relevant because it kind of is relevant, but it doesn't mean you're not healthy if you have a higher BMI than what the chart is telling you. 
Yeah, I think it's relevant on a public health um, yeah. side. Because so we do not, need some measures in place. Yeah, so on a public health level, it's probably really um, important to have. But then on an individual level, it's probably less accurate. Yeah, like if you have like someone who has a BMI of 22 and then someone who has a BMI of 26, it, that's not to say the person who has a BMI of 22 is healthier. Yeah, and actually when we look at older people, people who have sit in that overweight category so like 25.1 to 30 they actually um tend to live longer Mm -hmm. than people who are normal who are elderly um so yeah interesting things but we'll get off the topic of bmi and back to diets um so what do you think that and you probably see this a lot in the clients that you work with but what can prolonged or chronic dieting do to your mindset oh gosh so much so (laughs) You might have, or you you likely will have disordered eating patterns and that can last for a while, especially if you've been dieting for like years. It's probably going to take you years to recover from that. Mm -hmm. So Um, many food fears. Yeah, so many. And you have to work through them and break them down one by one because you can't do it too quickly. It's too overwhelming. So, and you need to have patience. And a lot of people don't have patience, so they keep pursuing short-term fixes. Yeah. And a lot of the time when you try and break it down, like people are like, we're like, oh, well, where did, where does that thought come from? Where did you first hear that rule or something like that? And most people are like, I don't even know. I just read it somewhere. Like it infiltrates at all levels. Yeah. And sometimes there's Mm -hmm. no rhyme or reason, but all of a sudden you think that, I don't know, um, ketchup is really high. What do you call it? do you call it yeah ketchup yeah Um, (laughs) i don't eat it but i know what it's called me neither the smell can actually oh i can't i can't Um, (laughs) i don't know why that was what came to mind i think probably because in the past i've had a client who was like petrified of ketchup i read somewhere that it was super super high in sugar and that she couldn't have it yeah but well i mean People can be scared of fruit because they think it's high in sugar. Exactly. So sometimes you read these things and you're like, I don't even know where I read it. You, you can't say that it's backed by anything or that it came mm-hmm. from a trusted source. You just came across this piece of information at one time or another, and maybe your vulnerability was high and you just internalized it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then that leads to feelings of guilt and anxiety around certain foods, because if we restrict instantly your brain is like I want it mm-hmm. that's just how it works if you tell yourself if you love chocolate and you try and cut chocolate out of your diet all you can think about is chocolate like exactly I can hope I think a lot of people can relate to that um and then like I said you develop these feelings of guilt and anxiety around that food guilt if you eat it and anxiety that it's going to be put in front of you and you might not be able to control yourself exactly and that guilt um of if you do eat it it might lead you down the binge restrict cycle which we know is really really tough to get out of um and really detrimental to your mental health Um, definitely yeah so if you are restricting you are ultimately setting yourself up for a binge because you and that that's nothing to do with willpower that is your body literally being like i cannot take this anymore give me all the food yeah willpower in the name of dieting is actually not a thing it's a it's not marketing it's Mm -hmm. there's no such thing as willpower like we can't quantify that Um, exactly because our body's needs can override that um Mm -hmm. and dictate what we want and so willpower is a marketing tool that uh the diet industry uses to be worth uh 40 trillion (laughs) dollars 
<laughs> worldwide. Yeah, literally. Um, and that, that annoys me as well because a lot of people think it's them. They're like, I have no willpower around food. And then they feel even worse about themselves. Yeah. And then they're like, all I can do is eat bad food. Therefore, I'm a bad person. Yeah. And your food choices do not dictate your like personality or like your morality. Yeah, definitely. Like you would be maybe not so great of a person if all you ate was stolen food. Mm-hmm. But if, yeah. if, if like not if you like it's weird because I think that one of the things that the diet industry sets you up to think is that hunger is a bad thing. Yes, that's so true because there's all these like appetite suppressants and you know take this pill and you know you'll be full for hours but it's like your your hunger signals are there they're basically they're a good thing because they're telling you that actually we're a little bit low on energy do you mind topping us up it's not only <laughs> so that we can function exactly it's a survival mechanism like you yeah that's what live. i was looking for survival <laughs> you need food to live and i think that diets are like oh you can't stop eating or you're eating all the wrong foods here's the fix just stop eating reduce mm-hmm. your appetite and that's not like I don't know how to say it like that's not realistic you need to eat but I think that um we've come to associate the words hunger with a negative connotation and it's not a bad thing at all yeah definitely um what also kind of annoys me just touching on different diets is the hunger fullness diet because that was kind of some people think that's the same as intuitive eating and it's not because you basically take away all the other principles and you just focus on eating when you're hungry and stopping when you know you're full but we're allowed to eat past the point of hunger sometimes you know if you go to a birthday or a celebration it's nice to you know have a piece of cake and even if you didn't really feel hungry for it it's nice to socialize and eat food with your friends exactly if someone made something for you like it's nice to show that appreciation for it by like trying it like yeah (laughs) yeah Okay, so we kind of summed up the negative sides of dieting, how it can put you in a tailspin of food rules and restrictions and guilt and anxiety and lead you down a path of maybe binging and restricting and then feeling really bad and placing like moral values on yourself based on your food choices. Mm -hmm. Um, Was there anything else do you think that we missed? I think that we can go into the questions before. Uh, Yeah, let's get, get into the questions and we can discuss anything off the back of those as we go along. Perfect. Um, did you want to start? Uh, let me just get them up. Um, okay. So first question I kind of like is, um, how do I let people know without being rude that the diet they're talking about is wrong? So it sounds like this person's pretty savvy and knows that diets are a con. Um, what would you say? It is hard because if they didn't ask your opinion, then mm-hmm. it's it's not really your place. But I understand if they're a really good friend of yours and you want to help them, like yeah. prevent them from going down this like destructive path. I understand why you would want to say something. But like if it's literally a person that you see in passing, I don't know, maybe it's just best to like bite your tongue because they didn't ask for your opinion and people get really, really, really defensive. Um, but I think that as nutritionists and dietitians we have a different like level of responsibility um yeah I was gonna maybe the average person like if you don't really know them then like 
maybe it's like not your place. <laughs> I, I was going to say like, if it's a good friend, I would offer like friendly advice slash support. And if they're still set on doing that diet, then they can learn on their own. But it, it is a tough one. But I would just kind of gently say, you know, I, I don't think that's the best idea. I've kind of read that, you know, diets aren't that great. And this is, you know, there's some pretty bad consequences. Um, but if you feel that that's what you need to do, then fine. Just like as a friend. Yeah, just signpost them to the next. Yeah, you don't have to be like, oh my God, that diet's wrong. <laughs> exactly. So maybe don't put the blame on them or like tell them that they're doing bad because they probably already have a set of rules that in their head. And this is just like something that again, is coming up and they need to do better on. So I would say when you can like signpost them to, you know, a nutritionist or dietitian that you follow or that you know is saying truthful information, evidence-based or this podcast, um, yeah. <laughs> or maybe just gently say, you know, maybe that's not the best thing for you. Or like, like I said, if, if you don't know them, I found like, even I do this in times like in social situations where people don't know my profession and they'll start talking about things like sometimes Say, it's just like, my foot in that position just like keep your mouth shut. I don't know yeah. maybe it's just like a social um norm like to not instigate <laughs> arguments in social situations yeah no no I I'm on I'm on the same page with that if like a stranger is talking about it you know that you can say like little hints but you can't just go in and be like well actually <laughs> Yeah. And also like, I always think like if someone has asked you for that information, that's really different. But if someone has not asked you for it, then they're probably not ready to hear it. Yeah. So they might not be at that mental state to accept the words that you're saying. So yeah. it could kind of backfire. But again, if it's a really, really good friend or family member and you worry about them, I would just like signpost them to the right avenue to go down whether it's like sending research to them or directing them to a person that could best help them Mm -hmm. cool I like that question so I got one saying how do I lose weight without dieting okay um I feel like the priority should be health and having a healthy relationship with food and anyone who, who is trying to pursue weight loss I would try and just put that to one side and think about just like your long-term health goals because I think people have this idea in their head that if they lose weight they're going to be much happier and that's I I don't really see that being the case I actually think it's the opposite when people yeah because then they have this like need to be like oh my god now I have to maintain it yeah it's stressful it's very stressful so I think like you said making the goal health and then if you do make really really healthy choices so things like establishing a healthy relationship with food um, maybe increasing your activity sleeping reducing your stress levels I think you will naturally if you have weight to lose you will Mm -hmm. naturally lose that gradually and sustainably yeah I mean from kind of like an intuitive eating um perspective it it is you know some people do lose weight whilst doing intuitive eating but that that shouldn't be the goal Mm -hmm. and we never ever make that the goal it could you know it just happens sometimes but you're like I said you're never going to be happy if you're constantly eating in a certain way to pursue weight loss so it's really important that when I work with clients we're on the same page and you know that client understands that I'm not helping them lose weight I'm helping them develop a healthy relationship with food yeah, and I would say, some- yeah, if weight loss is something that needs to happen, um, then let it be the byproduct yes. of the health journey. Mm-hmm. 
So not the goal, but if it needs, if it needs to happen, it will. Um, but that is usually people who do need to lose weight probably had years of a lot of the time, I'm not saying this is always the case, but a lot of the time years of dieting and rules and restrictions and maybe, um, going down, you know, self-sabotaging ways or things that have led them there. So it's really about fixing that relationship with food. And Mm -hmm. if that means that in the journey of you fixing the relationship with food, you feel less of a need to binge, then of course, weight is going to drop off because you're not having as frequent binges, which we know are, you know, a binge is classified as a surplus of calories in a really short amount of time. So obviously if we cut that down, and you have weight to lose, that will decrease. That's natural. Mm-hmm. But there again, the goal was improving your relationship with food, not losing weight. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Um, how does dieting affect your metabolism? We've actually gone over that. Yeah, um, that. Dieting works for me because I always lose weight, but I can never stick to it. How can I lose weight and keep it off? I think if it works, that's because you're changing your eating habits in a way that's restrictive and you can't keep it off because it's not sustainable. Yeah. I was going to say a lot of clients come to me because, you know, they've lost weight and then they've plateaued and they're like, what do I do now? Because I can't possibly stick to this restrictive diet. But, you know, if I go back to what I was eating before, I'm just going to put on weight. And then that kind of cycle starts to happen and the yo-yo dieting starts. Um, So, yeah. Um, so I would say ditch diets um, and stop pursuing weight loss and focus on your health. Yeah. Maybe have a deep dive into the diets that you've done, things that you've liked about them, things that you haven't liked, things that you found really helpful. So sometimes, you know, not, I mean, diets aren't good, but maybe you have picked up like nice habits through them. Um, so things that you like, so whether it be like meal prepping. So during this diet, I had to be you know, I wasn't allowed this, this, and this, but it did force me to meal prep. And I was always prepared. So that might be like a healthy habit that we could take away. And then how can you implement those without the other restrictions? So yeah, or or things like, you know, trying to up your fruit and veg intake and make sure you have, I don't know, six to eight pieces a day, and they might replace certain snacks and you feel better eating, you know, some fruit and nuts as a snack, for example. Yeah. So again, I think we've spoken about this a lot, but focus on what you can add instead of taking away. 100%. Um, Yeah. And then if that is really confusing because you've been in a place of chronic dieting for so long, I recommend contacting a health professional to help you guide you through that. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. My other question was intermittent fasting. Does it work? Is it healthy? Interesting. Um, So I think... I just think it's like another diet. And I think some people do it unknowingly because some people don't really like eating breakfast in the morning Mm -hmm. and then they get hungry at like 11, but that's not disordered eating or kind of pursue of weight loss. That's just their eating pattern and them listening to their body. And this is why I think we get it so wrong because when we start to compare ourselves, you know, say if you were intermittent fasting, I'd be like, oh, Barry doesn't eat breakfast. Maybe I shouldn't eat breakfast, but then I'd be really hungry in the morning and I'd be like, oh shit, like when can I eat? Like, how does Barry do it? But you're not even thinking about like weight loss. You're just like, I'm not hungry first thing in the morning. Yeah. I would literally say if you're hungry, honor your hunger cues. We've spoken about that so much. I know it's a principle of intuitive eating, but I also think it's Mm -hmm. just a principle of life. If you're hungry, that's your body sending signals that you need to eat. There is no way getting around that. If you happen not to feel hungry, then 
that's fine if you wait till 11, 12, et cetera. Um, but if you wake up hungry and then you're essentially restricting until noon, you've then said, I'm not allowed to eat until noon. So if it creates rules around food, I don't think it's healthy in the long run. Definitely. And something else that might happen is if you're skipping breakfast, then you eat at 12 and then you think, oh, well, I actually skip breakfast so I can afford to eat a bit more. You're just like, that defeats the whole purpose anyway. You should have just had breakfast when you felt like. <laughs> yeah. So for, um, for people who are listening who might be confused about intermittent fasting, because it is so confusing because there are so many different, oh, like, different... fasting regimens. So you can do like a 16 hour fast, or you can do like a six to eight hour fast. There's all these different kind of like subgroups, but it's essentially going without food for a specific amount of time or day. And the theory is, is that one, you consume less food overall because your feeding times have decreased. So if you're only allowed to eat in eight hours, theoretically, you will consume less food than you would have in a 16 hour window. So one of the reasons why people lose weight is because it's a calorie deficit diet. Yeah. And the the primary research we have anyway is on mice. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So rodent. And then the other side of intermittent fasting is that it can result in like metabolic adaptation. So you switch to prioritizing fat oxidation from like carbohydrates. um, And that helps you preserve lean muscle mass. And there is a small amount of research that says that helps um, sustain weight over time. But Again, a lot of this research is in mice. We do have a small body of human research, but it's really biased. Like they're usually men over 40 who have to lose weight. And remember as females, we have more hormones than men. So we actually, we can't really put us in the same category because our bodies are so unique. Um, And that might differ from me and you as well. Like it might work great for you. But it might, I, I, I know I wouldn't be able to do that. <laughs> no, me neither. Um, there was actually a study um, that showed what it like it, uh, people follow an intermittent fasting diet and then they like asked them a few questions and they scored it a seven out of 10 on the difficulty level. So that shows it's pretty difficult. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and 57% felt that they could not maintain it um, beyond the 10 week intervention. Yeah. So, more so this, is, this is what I mean. Like if you're pursuing it and you're doing it for weight loss and you're finding it difficult, then it's definitely not for you. But even if you are if you do it and you find it easy and you're doing it for weight loss, I still wouldn't recommend doing it. Yeah, I agree. But if it works for you, then it works for you. I yeah, I mean, like it, I said, if you like, you know, if you don't like eating in the morning and you prefer to start your day, you know, eating at 11, that's totally fine. But I think that mentality behind it is really important. Yeah, and also the other pitfall I think with intermittent fasting it has nothing about the type of foods that you eat so you can Mm -hmm. literally have that six hour window and you can just choose to eat only vegetables you can choose to eat I don't know six pints of Ben and Jerry's go one an hour it has nothing to do with like (laughs) the quality of the food and the diversity yeah that's why I hate like calorie restriction diets so much because if you go on like a a 1200 calorie a day diet you could literally be eating you know, donuts all day. Totally. Totally. You have like, yeah. There's no education about health 
or nutrition. There's no education about, you know, getting in the essential nutrients um, and the diversity that we know is really important as well as just enjoying food because then Mm -hmm. food just becomes something that you have to micromanage and it's not something that you just have free will to just enjoy. Yeah. And do you know what? Food enjoyment is everything because we have to eat, like we have to eat, you know, food is every day. It's there every day and we need it to survive. So enjoying it is like a make or break, isn't it? I don't think in any other situation in life, you would do something every day that you Mm -hmm. didn't like to do. You would always find an alternative. So even if you like hated your job, you'd look for other jobs. So there's no point in having this negativity in your life that you have to do something every day. So don't hate the way you eat. Just enjoy it. And people are so scared of like different foods or specific foods, you know, doing something bad to their health. But if you're stressed all day about food, that stress is going to do worse things to your health than that piece of cake. That stress is probably going to help, not help, but it's probably going to cause you to gain more weight because your cortisol Mm -hmm. levels are going to increase and your body's naturally going to store more that because that's how the body works so again our bodies don't use logic the same ways that our mind does so stress actually sends your body into this kind of state where it's like fight or flight like cortisol helps increase levels of storage so when you do need that flight to run you have all the stored energy that you can just burn yeah so reducing your, that's why reducing your stress levels is so, is so important. Yeah. yeah. So Definitely. Um, yeah, so sorry. I keep, like, I keep going to say something and then you go to say something. This is the downfall of Zoom um, and not being able to record in person. You kind of lose some of that like natural body language things. But as I yeah. say, it's just something about like taking a more holistic approach to health. Like it isn't just about the food. I was literally going to say the exact same thing of like taking into into consideration like your sleep and you know your self-care activities and how you're nourishing your body as a whole exactly perfect okay do we have any more questions um there was yeah I've got two more how many okay cool I'm good the other ones we have um so actually did, did we mention this best foods for recovering from amenorrhea we touched we might on have mentioned that in the last did we mention that last? I think we discussed it a little bit in the last episode but um it's really difficult to say not knowing what your current diet is and what you might be missing so I would recommend speaking to a health professional if that is the case um fats are really important carbs are really important you know all food groups are so important and you need to make sure you're eating enough of them and sometimes more than enough because, you know, if you need to gain weight, then you do need to eat more than, you know, air quotes, a normal person would do. Yeah. And if the amenorrhea is a side effect of a deficiency, you then need to eat to replace the deficiency and then mm-hmm. more to sustain the adequate levels. So again, not something that we can really go into on a podcast because it's probably really um, specific, but just making sure that you have a well-balanced diet. Um full of all the nutrients yeah definitely um last one I've been told by my doctor that I need to lose weight to look after my health what's the best diet so I think that in the question the answer was in the question so I need to look after my health so that's exactly what I think you should do so maybe start small make one goal a week so this week I'm going to walk 
a little bit more than yesterday or this week I'm going to focus on water or this week I am going to, you know, prioritize fruits and vegetables in my meals. So I think that, again, the answer was in the question, focus on weight. I mean, focus on health. (laughs) (laughs) That was a bad bad one. Focus on health, not weight. Yeah. Yeah. So I would steer clear of any diets and just prioritize, you know, things you can do to improve your health. Um, Like we said before, what can you add into your diet instead of what can you take out and what can you restrict? Because restriction will lead you down a really unhealthy route. And just remember that statistic that we said in the beginning, which we don't have an accurate statistic, but people who go on diets, even though they might lose like 80% of people who go on diets will end up gaining more weight in the long run. It's like two years or five years, whatever that statistic is. So even in the short term, if you think that this is what you need to do because your doctor ordered it in the long term, it might not be serving your long-term health. So switching that focus away from the number on the scale. Definitely ditch the scales. Cool. Good night to end on. Yeah. Ditch, ditch the scales. (laughs) And that's, that's how we're ending the podcast. I think this was really informative. I actually really love this topic and I could talk about this I know there's so many different levels to this and we could literally like you know do a whole write a book on it like we could couldn't we I think that one interesting thing which maybe we'll go into is just like all the different kind of like ridiculous diets because I find them like so ludicrous and crazy about like and there are so many yeah like the grapefruit diet the grapefruit diet, we, the GM diet, which you spoke about in this podcast. Yeah. So there are some like crazy things out there. So it might be fun to run through them and then kind of like pinpoint why, why they're good, why they're bad or et cetera, things like that. What can we learn Definitely. from them or yeah. what should we like throw in the bin? Um, cool. So as always, please rate, review and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at Forking Wellness. Yeah. And share with your friends um if you love the podcast we absolutely love hearing your feedback so please write us a review if you feel like it or just hit five stars (laughs) yes okay perfect we'll catch up with you guys next week um have a great week bye guys